0: what she said to me was, "Well, that's your strategy, but what's your culture?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And she's like, "Your strategy doesn't mean anything. Your culture will eat strategy for breakfast every single day."
1: Welcome to Open, Honest and Direct, a podcast sharing stories from powerful leaders on what it takes to unlock your team's potential and all their screw-ups along the way. Each episode will take a behind-the-scenes look at how to build a high-performing team from the leaders who built them. Today we are lucky to have Dr. Teddy Scott, who is the founder and CEO of PharmaCan, a medical cannabis company which recently sold for $682 million, making it one of the biggest in the history of the cannabis industry. Teddy shares that his most surprising challenge in building PharmaCan wasn't about the strategy, but was more about building a culture. A culture where people respected one another and worked well together. Because without that culture, there was not going to be people to execute the strategy. In 2015, you founded PharmaCan, a business that scales medical cannabis as a part of healthcare. And in just these three short years, you've raised $185 million in capital, grown the team to over 270 full-time employees, have 10 retail outlets in four states, adding five more states, three manufacturing sites. And- as of December of 2018, you sold Pharmacan for $682 million, making it one of the biggest uh, exits in the history of the cannabis industry, at least in the United States. How the heck did a PhD and lawyer get into the medical cannabis business?
0: You know, it's the type of thing that if uh, oftentimes people ask me is like, I, I want to plan something like that. And it's like, I, I'll say you're crazy if you think you can plan this out. There's a lot of stories that people say, you know, you make your own luck and there's serendipity. And I think they're all true. The way that I say it is I was the right person, right place at the right time. We all have our own strengths. We have our, all have our own talent. We've all invested in ourselves, you know, through different schooling or Certifications or mentoring or you know your civic engagements, whatever they might be, your philanthropy, your investing in yourself, and you're growing as a person. And I was fortunate that there was an opportunity available, and perhaps even more importantly, I saw it. And then I also took the leap. I knew nothing about cannabis when the opportunity presented itself to me, and I just started digging a little bit into it. And then once I did. I went from thinking I was at a complete disadvantage because I knew nothing about the subject area to all of a sudden thinking, wow, I have a competitive advantage just because of who I am, what I'm good at, or what I know how to do, and just recognized it and took the leap.
1: Two things that I'm interested in knowing is, what was it? What was the opportunity you saw? And then how did you know you had a competitive advantage?
0: when somebody brought it to my attention. If it had been a year early, it would have been too early. I probably would have passed on it. If it had been a year later, I'd have been too late. The opportunity came as a friend reached out to me in January of 2014, saying they knew of some folks that were coming to Illinois to apply for licenses in medical cannabis and asking if I wanted to invest. What I was fortunate about was, number one, that somebody reached out to me as a potential investor. I did not know that Illinois had passed the law or would be accepting applications. (laughs) That's crazy. So fortunate about, yeah, (laughs) I had no idea. Number two was, in hindsight, it had only been a couple of weeks before that. It was January 1, 2014. Colorado had just started doing recreational sales. And I just remembered it was in the news a lot. It was kind of at the forefront So the it of what you're asking, number one, there was a sense that I had the current legal systems, especially the criminal one against marijuana just is way out of whack. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. There's just a general sense of that for most people. Um, And then I think what the Colorado experiment really opened up for a lot of people is kind of the inevitability, if you will, that the legal system is going to eventually get fixed where the checks and balances make sense for the harm as well as the potential benefits. Point being, I think most people realize it needs to change or it will change. With all that comes opportunity.
1: What made you say, hey, I have an advantage in doing this? I mean, you're a lawyer. Yeah. a molecular physicist like
0: biophysicist like uh what and that's the last piece it was really my first aha moment was maybe a couple of weeks into digging into it and just learning about it the state of the industry the vast majority of them were very shady groups that had been living in the shadows in colorado maybe california Laws were changing, and then all of a sudden, someone that used to be you know, operating out of their basement is now a legitimate business person. That's just kind of the fundamentals of the business at that point in time. Not everybody is that way, but that's the history of the industry, where it comes from. First time I saw a marijuana grow in operation, and I went in, one of that at that time, leading producers in Colorado. And what I realized was I don't know anything about cannabis and I'm watching them run their business and I see and I go, what I can tell is they don't know how to run a business. They were, what you could, what they were doing is they were just kind of scaled up mom and pop operators.
1: Hmm.
0: Whereas my background was working with highly sophisticated big professionally managed technical organizations, biotech, pharmaceutical companies, technology companies, legally compliant. Those are all things I was very familiar with, developing new technologies. And this industry was ripe for that. Historically in the industry, it was mom and pop type businesses. In California back in 2014, there were literally thousands of marijuana businesses in LA alone. In Colorado, there are more dispensaries than there are uh, McDonald's and Starbucks combined. Wow. Okay, that's, that's a huge number, but the, the effect of that is it's all these mom and pops. They're very small, they're not sophisticated in their operations. You know, Illinois is a state that's got three times the population of Colorado, And yet they were only going to give out 20 licenses to manufacture cannabis. They were only going to give out 60 to dispense it. And the reason for it is they wanted it to be regulated. They wanted it to be at a high quality, high standards. And that's the byproduct of it. It's kind of funny. And so now you have us. You've got GTI, Cresco, Verano, Grassroots, they're all based here. They all recognized it and saw it too. We're, we're one of them. But that was the opportunity. It was the transformation of cannabis from a back alley basement, underground mom and pop, non professional to big. Need lots of capital. You need to scale. You need to continually iterate in making your improvements. You know, you need to be highly compliant because you've got a bullseye on your back. Uh, you need to be trusted because you're going to be raising a lot of capital from high net worth individuals. You're going to be leading transactions with large investment banks or real estate investment trusts. I mean, you have to be a big professional organization. And when I realized that, that was my first aha moment. That is my sweet spot. That's what I know. And that was when it was really got exciting. What
1: changed about you over the, those last three to four years as a leader?
0: That, you know, that's there's numerous, numerous things there. I have you know, my, my undergraduate in biochemistry. I have my PhD in biophysics. I went to law school, have my law degree. I've licensed in a couple of different states. I've been a, a corporate securities attorney. I've done m and I've done patent. I've done licensing, you know, a 24 five-year career between science and law. And I've learned more in the last three years than I did all of that other 25 years combined. I And what's even more amazing is, as I sit here today, I realize I have so much more to learn, and which is really completely exciting. Before the business, I probably was getting into a point in my life and career like you, lots of people that I've seen before me, and it's a typical, you know, midlife crisis, what are you gonna do? I felt like I had stopped growing, and the business has given me an opportunity to continue to grow in a way that I never even thought possible. So I think the biggest thing they all come down to, the single common factor in all of them, is really the importance of people. It was shortly after we started the business, a person I really respect came to me, and we I'm talking about the strategy and all these things we're going to do, all this analysis and planning. And What she said to me was, well, that's your strategy, but what's your culture? I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, your strategy doesn't mean anything. Your culture will eat strategy for breakfast every single day. I thought she was crazy. I was like, what are you talking about? Look how brilliant my idea is. Look Look how... Smart Me and my other you know, founders and the people working for us, and we've, att- and we've got our plan, and we, know- we-, we see all these possibilities, and it took a-, a while to realize, but you have all the ideas in the world, but who's going to execute on them? Who's going to care? You're going to need a team. If you're going to have a team to execute at the optimal level, you've got to have a culture. Who's going you know, to lead them? What are your values? What are your mission? What are you all marching towards? I went from thinking three or four years ago that, that all that stuff was poppycock. It was just words on the wall that just, you know, some people talked about. It didn't mean anything. The one thing I've learned and continues to amaze me and, and knowing more and more I need to learn about people, how to lead them, how to have the best team, how to motivate people, how to get them to work together. The single importance of people in a business.
1: Yeah. If you don't have, I love how you said If you don't have people to execute on your strategy, it doesn't matter how good your strategy is.
0: They have to be motivated. They have to care. I mean, maybe they don't have to, but if they don't, you know, guess what? It's not going to turn out that good you know, the expectations of the way you treat others and the way we deal with problems and the way we're direct and being honest and working together. You know, i use analogies of family. And I've been advised that's a bad one because a lot of people have bad family experiences. And I was like, well, we all have bad family experiences, but I think that's how you can learn. Do you communicate with the sibling you don't get along with? Well, you should. I mean, your siblings, it'd be, you know, it'd be nice to have a Thanksgiving dinner that you can all get together and not yell at each other and everybody brings the right dishes so you have a meal but how are you going to deal with that you know you've got the crazy aunt but she's she's in your family you got to respect her make her feel at home
1: yeah and that's actually a great analogy because it's challenging to have those tough conversations with family members you have a lot of stories built up and and biases and assumptions about them and just like you do with employees and you have to You know, if you're going to have the right meals at dinner, if you're going to make sure you all enjoy that that evening together, you have to make sure to overcome those.
0: You don't have to love them. You may not like a lot of the stuff they do, but you need them. You need them to do what they're supposed to do. So be respectful. Get them to buy into what you're trying to do. That'll make the job easier for everybody. You know, be respectful with each other and let's get the job done.
1: I'm imagining this comes from experience along the way where maybe that didn't happen. What was your biggest fuck up in this journey?
0: They all, I would say it tied into the lack of appreciation of culture, lack of appreciation of the need to be a leader for not just yourself, not just your, maybe your core team, but for everybody. I let things happen that I wouldn't have later, and it was that I was too deferential to allowing people to do things the way they wanted to do them. I mean, you can either delegate too much or micromanage too much. You're you're constantly trying to find that sweet spot, and I never liked people micromanaging me, so I try not to micromanage others, and that led me to giving too much deference, too much autonomy, too much decision making for people. And when that happened, what I didn't appreciate the importance of values. Hmm. And what happened was people would do things that, man, I really disagreed with. The results were good, but the way they treated people, I, mean, I really didn't like. I wouldn't have done it myself. But it's like, well, you know, I had to step in and it, it was cleaning up some mistakes that had lasted for a while that were my own making just to take corrective action in that.
1: Getting those values in place and, and really holding people accountable to them.
0: Yep, exactly. And then I just kind of the evolution uh, in my own learning path. You know, you learn from your mistakes and okay, you can put that behind you, but what's the next one you're going to make? <laughs> like fix yep. that one. I would say the next one that comes to mind is there was alignment on values. There was a setting of expectations. And I'm a big believer in diversity, not in the political sense, but diversity of opinion. If someone agrees with me, man, I don't like that. It's like, I'd rather you disagree with me than agree with me because if the truth is somewhere in the middle of all of the thought. No one person knows everything usually. And so I like to have people that think differently. Than I do. And so I made a mistake for a period of time that what I was looking for were just different people, different backgrounds, different experiences, different, you know. But what happened was they also treated people differently. And I was just expecting people to work with each other the same way I did. This is kind of getting into more of leadership. It took a while to realize it, but it just, the team, it was not organized and cohesive as it should be. The thing I learned there was, okay, yeah, you can have your values. They can be clear, but now, and you even said it a second ago, holding people accountable to them. Really taking leadership with regards to putting in place the processes, you know, the setting of ground rules, those types of things, and then also looking for the people on the team that it had to be more than just what skill set they had to bring. It had to be more than just their viewpoint being different from mine, but also they had to be someone that was empathetic. They had to listen to the other people. They had to care about other people. They had to have the ability to speak up, you know, and if they were challenged or someone disagreed with them, they didn't take it personally. Or if someone was giving criticism, it was done in a non-confrontational way. So being a leader with setting those ground rules so that the team, the family, if you will, is having the good Thanksgiving dinner, not yelling at each other, but they're actually working together well. Probably if I had heard that a couple of years ago, it, God, it probably would have gone in one ear and out the other. And it wasn't until I had to live with it, the people not interacting well, it's like, oh, it now starts to make sense and, you know, starting to have to work to try to fix it.
1: So if you're listening to, to Teddy's story here, hopefully it's not going in one ear and out the other so that you don't make the same mistake and uh, waste some time that could have been saved. And like what you're saying makes total sense, right? You're changing the way in which people work and live and engage with one another. And that takes time. And it also, what I heard was it's not just, Hey, do I do a competency check? If this person can, this person do the functional job, should I hire them or should I promote them? But it's not just, can they do what I need them to do, but do they have the same values match that we need for our people and our leaders?
0: When I started out, not only starting the company, but also, you know, a a number of major hires, what I was focused on was almost exclusively, if not exclusively, is I know my strategy. I know my plan. I know the pieces I need. I know the skills and expertise. I know what it is. I know how it fits in. And I'm just going to go get that person. Hmm. And you look at a resume and you go, oh, you got it. Bring them on. But the, the key missing part in all that, and there's, there's a number of people that we've hired and I've seen numerous other places make the same mistake. You know, you look at their resume, you look at their LinkedIn profile, you're like, oh, my God, this person's a rock star. You interviewed them. Everybody loved them. And then six months later, nine months later, you're having to exit them. You're like, what went wrong? What did we miss on? It could be somebody with their co-founder. It could be someone with that first hire or the second, third major hire, the lead of function. And you said it, it's like, you have to have the right, that person has to have the right values that fit with your organization. They have to be able to work with your people the way that you're expecting and your people are expecting to be worked with because they can be the most talented person in the world, but, If they're the type of a a command and control person and you have an organization that's built on collaboration, they ain't going to work. So it's more and more a focus on those soft skills of the people. And I think it does come down, and I don't know if it sums it up completely, but it's a really good starting point. And you said it's just the commonality of values is probably the single biggest determinant. If you're misaligned on values, I don't care how smart somebody is, how hard they work, how good they are at their function, if you're misaligned on values, you are going to have problems. I mean, you just go back to your family example,
1: right? You think about a partner in life or you know, my wife and I, and one thing that is really true about us is we share values, we have common values, and all the other differences about us, we're, we're very different people, But that's not what keeps us together and our relationship strong. It's the fact that we have this common shared values. And I think, you know, what you're relating is saying, hey, um, that's what keeps a team strong and moving together.
0: My family life has helped my business life and my business professional life has helped my family life. You know, I used the analogy to family earlier, but I think the relationship with a spouse is very similar. There's a lot of analogies, and I agree with you completely. I mean, we're the most different people in the world. It's like, wow, maybe it is opposites attract is the way stuff works. It's like, no, it's not because we're opposites. It's that we have the same shared values, and it's that same thing for the business. I, I only really appreciated that from the business. as, ah, uh, that's the reason my marriage is so good. We had the same values. Wow, how lucky was that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's oh, amazing. What about all that that's happened in, in your work
0: over the last three years or four years? Are you most proud of? I'll say two things. All my life, I had never had a cause. You know, there's things I believed in, and there's things I did, but to have a cause. Against all odds, and just go out there and just make a difference towards that cause. You know, it's, it's, you're thinking of things bigger than yourself. That's one thing I'm very proud of for myself, selfishly, that I've found that degree of enlightenment or degree of happiness, whatever it might be. So that's number one. Number two, I'm really proud of our people that I'll use the analogy of. Kids, before I come back to the business, when I see my kids go out there and they competed or they've worked hard and they perform and they take a chance, you know, however it is, I'm so proud of them. I'm so happy for them that they've gotten to experience that and feel it. And I, I feel that in the business, what I'm most proud of is when I look at our people, our employees. We have so many good people. We have so many good people that care about what they're doing, what we're doing. And they're proud of themselves for what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. I think that's what I'm most proud of is the ability to create that same feeling that I have about making a difference and create that for a few hundred other people as well.
1: I mean, that's something really special, right? You're creating and allowing and giving opportunity
0: to, to that to happen. Um, which is, no, it's a, really it's a, yeah, it's a similar thing that this experience I've gone through as an entrepreneur as a successful entrepreneur, whether it's, you know, the successful part of it's the least important thing is everybody should experience this. Everybody should go. It's the most rewarding thing you could ever do. And it's the reason I do a lot of mentoring and try to help out people because everybody should experience this for themselves, but also the ability to do good for so many other people. And so I think that, that that's what I'm most proud of all of those things intertwined. Teddy,
1: this has been a real honor. Thank you for coming on, for sharing your stories, for being vulnerable and authentic. And we're just grateful to have you and have you share your stories with our community. Ah,
0: it's been my pleasure, in uh, any time
1: Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And as always, you can drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers and have a great day.